0: read 45 through 50 45 through 50 and um, I did read this last week but I want to read it again um, because we started talking about why we follow Jesus and uh, and how he said follow me and he said come and see and and the voice of the Lord and we talked about different things about how Uh, how different ones and and how he called different ones out Um, this morning we're going to finish this up talking about um, um, a few other points so let's go lord in prayer and then we'll um, be seated father you're gracious and wonderful we do love and praise you today we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your love and your grace we thank you for your word Your word always stands true. Your word always, oh God, brings blessing. Your word always, oh God, brings direction for our lives. And we thank you for it. And we ask, oh God, that you would lead us today again in your holy word. And everyone said in Jesus' name. Praise God. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Um, I'll I'll read the the verses in just a moment. But uh, um, real quickly, we're... We're grateful for, um, sister Brittany being able to, uh, deliver the baby. They did have to do a cesarean, but we're grateful that everything's going well. And, uh, we need to continue praying though. This child is going to be in an incubator for quite some time and, uh, he's only three pounds. That's not a very big child. And, um, and so, uh, need to continue praying, but, um, she's doing okay and, uh, and that's uh, that's a good thing because uh, she had <clears throat> one huge stress removed. But, uh, but as any mother knows, that the stress of raising a child then begins. But, uh, but anyway, um, continue praying for her. And thank you for your prayers for her. Thank you very, very much. Draven received the Holy Ghost last Sunday night. Praise God. God is so good. Just pouring out His Spirit is a beautiful thing. Amen? and I'm um, looking forward to having lunch with everybody today and sitting down and having some fellowship. Uh, kids are back from camp. Wonderful. Thank you Lord for giving them a great camp and and uh bringing them home again safe. Uh, as we get going this morning, um there's a uh, there's a spiritual reality that uh, that really people are looking for. People are looking for a spiritual reality and I know that's kind of a um, kind of sounds a little strange, but those are the types of uh, buzzwords that you hear in our generation. People are looking for something authentic they 're looking for a spiritual reality um, they 're they 're looking for something that is tangible um, there 's uh, and and so we we have him don 't we We have Jesus, and he 's very tangible and he 's very spiritual. Real, spiritually real, and everything so um, but uh, but unfortunately, some people treat him like he 's just another spiritual commodity, like he 's just another spirit to um, to encounter and and we can 't we, we cannot treat jesus that way he's not a he 's not just you know come and get your jesus juice on sunday and and then monday you you try something else, and Tuesday you try something else, and throughout the week you just have different spirits that you play around with. You can't do that and have a real live relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he is worth serving, not simply worth trying. I know the Lord says, taste and see, he says, try me. But he, he, he says that without the intention that you just try him on Sunday and you leave him alone the rest of the week. He does it so that you just say, hey, I have tried everything for peace. I think I'm going to try Jesus. Amen. And so, uh, so anyway, we're going to talk about this um, three reasons why everyone needs to turn to Jesus Christ. We are working the fields and, uh, and we need to recognize how to work in the fields as a kid. Um, we had to walk through the fields a lot uh, every spring, and we sometimes in the fall we did too, but most of the time in the spring we walked through the fields and we just picked up rocks. That's all we did is pick up rocks, and in areas that the, the fields were stony, we would pick up rocks. We had a little wagon And we drove the wagon a little ways and then we'd just pick up rocks in an area for a while until the wagon was full or until the ground was pretty cleaned up. And then we would move the wagon and and continue on. Uh, There were some fields that were so full of rocks, I thought, what a total waste of time. Why don't you just kind of forget this whole acre of land and not plant here because there's so many rocks. But the boss is like, "Nope, we're going to plant right through that, but we've got to pick up the rocks so we don't destroy the planter." <clears throat> other fields it was, you know, a rock here and a rock there, not a big deal. It was actually kind of um, kind of a, a, a you know, a challenge to see if we could jump off the wagon, throw the rock in the wagon and get back on the wagon before the wagon drove too far away. So it was uh it was, you know, they were that far uh, apart from each other. Uh, but uh but I remember I remember that those rocks, those fields that full of rocks, and you had to walk around uh, sometimes it would take a week to clean up an area where these rocks were and uh, and as a kid, you just kind of think oh, what 's the use of this? This is just busy work you know it 's just just something to just keep you busy because you 're like there 's nothing else to do you know there 's a farm there 's always something to do. And we're out here picking up rocks. I could understand pulling weeds and killing weeds and walking beans. I could understand that. But, but picking up rocks... But as the years went on, I realized that in life, you're going to have some stony places. You're going to have some rocks. You're going to have some messy areas in your life. And so I realized that that those exercises that I did as a kid, just picking up rocks and and thinking that there was no reason for it, actually, as you grow a little older, you realize that there's areas in my life I think I need to pick up some rocks and I need to haul them away. As a kid, you don't realize the importance of that. But as you grow up, you start realizing, wow, this has an application in my life. Because if you don't get the rocks out of the area, two things are going to happen. Three things are going to happen. You're going to destroy the equipment trying to plant in that area. You're going to have to plant all the way around that equipment and Therefore, you just kind of avoid those rocky areas of life or you're going to clean it up and you're going to be able to plant and no one's going to know until the next year when you till it again. So we have to realize, okay, I can't just keep walking around some things in my life. I've got to deal with them. Amen. Because my life is supposed to be fruitful. Are we right? Are lives supposed to be fruitful in the Lord? So we're supposed to be fruitful in the Lord. And if I have these stony places, these rocky places in my life, I can't just keep avoiding them and trying to plant around them and grow fruit all the way around those rocky places because all I'm doing is working harder at trying to avoid things, trying to ignore things. I'm working harder working around stuff than what I would be if I just take the time to remove it from my life and plant right through and get a crop and nobody's the wiser until the next year when I till it again. Too often, we are just looking for the easy way. Just plant around it. Just avoid it. That's what we're looking for, right? Avoid the pain. Avoid the time that it's going to take. Avoid the effort that it's going to take. Let's just avoid it. Let's ignore it. Maybe the rocks will go away. Not likely. They're not going to go away. And the crazy thing is, when you are out in the middle of Iowa, and all the farmers see a bald spot out in the field, they start saying, yep. They got lazy right there. They didn't take care of that spot out there. That spot's had stones in it for years, had rocks in it for years. And look, they just got lazy. They didn't take care of it. The whole county starts talking about you ignoring those rocks. Nobody wants that. No farmer wants anybody saying that you're lazy, right? Can't can't call farmer lazy. But there are some lazy farmers. Anyway, so why, why are we talking about that today? Because the Lord is trying to reach all of us, and He's revealing things to us, and He's planting things in us, and He's harvesting things in us. So we need to pay attention to those things. Let's, let's go to our text. John chapter 1, verses 45 through 50. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Now we did we did talk about this last week. We we kind of closed with this and then verse fifty we'll save until um, for a little bit here, but but uh, Jesus, the first point I want to make today is Jesus is very much aware of us. He's aware of us. first reason we talk about today why we follow Jesus is because he is aware of us it is a wonderful thing to know that you have God's awareness it's a great thing it can be a scary thing though right depending on what's going on in our life it could be a scary thing knowing that he is aware of what we're doing so but but jesus is aware of us philip goes to nathaniel to tell him about jesus and as nathaniel approached jesus said look an israelite indeed that is without guile Uh oh now what does that mean what anybody just quickly what what do you think that means an israelite who's without guile or a person without guile Just what do you think it means? He's clean, without sin. Yep. Guile is what makes a person guilty. That's, that's actually the root word of guilty. And you know how all these words are kind of get tied together. The word guile is what makes us guilty. Guile is a, is sin. It's poison. It's it's a problem in our life. And when we have a problem in our life and we approach Jesus with a problem in our life, don't we feel guilty? I mean, He is the judge, right? He's the judge of all the world. If we have an issue, we feel kind of guilty standing before the Lord. Nathaniel didn't feel guilty. He was without guile. He didn't have... He, he, he had been a, a man who worked and sought and, and, and worshipped God, did everything that he could correctly and so when he gets into the presence of the lord the lord says wow an israelite who's without guile he doesn't feel guilty because he's in my presence and he doesn't really feel the guilt of sin now was nathaniel a sinner yes we all are but when we pray and we seek the Lord and we pray the sin out of our life and we seek forgiveness and redemption, the guilt goes away, doesn't it? Because we drop the guilt and that's what Nathaniel was. He was a man who was approaching the Lord and he was approaching him with a heart that was seeking for God. It's wow. And the Lord's behold. Indeed, an Israelite who was without guile. He's saying, Nathaniel, I know that you are serving the Lord. I know that you are seeking the Lord. I know that you are you are a praying man. I know that you're a worshiper. And Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? So Nathanael was surprised by the Lord's greeting and asked Jesus, how, how, how did you know me? Jesus replies, he sees him sitting under a fig tree before Philip even went after him. Now that, this, this tells us that before we even come to the Lord, that he is aware of what's happening in our lives. Before we even make an approach to the Lord, He's aware of what's happening in our lives. Remember, later on in the book of Acts, the Lord sends Paul the apostle to different people and Peter the apostle to different ones. Go to, go to Cornelius' house. He's praying. He's a devout man. And the Lord's sending, sending different ones, different apostles to different people because he's aware of them and he wants to get the gospel to them here's the amazing thing the lord sends you to hungry people he sends you to hungry people but do we feed them when we arrive sometimes we're we're just trying to skirt the issue we're we're trying to you know we're got a pile of rocks in my life. Um, if, I, if I try to pick up these rocks, it's going to be an effort. And quite honestly, I don't have the time to put forth the effort. I really don't have the energy to put forth the effort. I really don't want to put forth the effort. So I think I'll just work around this pile of rocks of someone that's in need of some of the fruit that God has put in my life. If God has put something in my life, I've got to give it to others. And so so the Lord is aware of us. He's also aware of them. He is very much aware of all of us. God is trying so desperately to get the gospel into hungry people's lives. And he's using us to do it. Philip. Philip didn't even hardly know that much about Jesus. He just started walking with him himself. And he runs to Nathanael right away. Nathanael, we have found him. Nathanael had been seeking for a Messiah. We know that because... Philip said, we found him. So we know that that Nathaniel had been looking for a Messiah. And Jesus says, an Israelite has no guile. Somebody that's been looking for me and I am showing up. That's a pretty amazing thing. That God is aware of us. He's aware of us. Uh, he, now, now, what what was it that is not recorded? Um, the, the the seeking of the Lord. We don't we don't see Nathaniel actually seeking the Lord, but we see we we see that he was he had to have been seeking the Lord because Philip says we found him. Found who? I don't. I'm not looking for anybody. Well, he must have been looking for somebody because we found him. But this tree, he's accustomed, apparently, he's accustomed to a, this particular fig tree. And he's probably, more than likely, since the Lord said, I found you, I saw you under the fig tree. This had to have been the place where Nathaniel spent some time in prayer. Under the fig tree had to have been someplace because when the Lord said, I saw you under the fig tree, Nathaniel said, wow, you're him. Nathaniel had to have been under the fig tree seeking God. That must have been his prayer closet. That must have been his place where he looked for the Lord, where he prayed about God, where he sought the Lord. Had to have been because that was all Jesus had to say. As I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel, only Nathaniel and God knew what happened under that fig tree. Don't think for a moment that when you go to the Lord in prayer, even if it's under some fig tree somewhere, don't think for a moment that he's not aware of that. He's aware of it. I don't know if Nathaniel was under that fig tree 10 years prior, 20 years prior, or 30 minutes prior. I have no idea how long it took between the fig tree and and the acquaintance made with his savior but the jews not too much different than us find particular places that they spend for devotion anybody have a particular spot that you are most comfortable praying Some people, it's their car as they're driving down the road. It's where they're most comfortable praying. Some people, they, they're most comfortable coming to the church and, and, and sitting at the altar and praying at the altar. Some people, uh, they're, they're more comfortable just laying on the carpet somewhere and, and just praying. Some people, they have a, a, an actual closet that they go into. Some people have an altar built at home. Some people, uh, some people it's their desk at work and they just, they just bow their head and just, and just start to pray. That's where they're the most comfortable. For Nathaniel, it just happened to be the fig tree just happened to be the fig tree now we 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 understand that people have these areas of private devotion if you will and in such scenes there's kind of a, a stillness where where we where we can we can sit and we can just meditate and we can pray and we can read our bible and some people just have a chair at home and some people they they have they have a particular place but uh but when, when Jesus said, "I saw thee," it was very clear, very clear that Jesus didn't mean I was standing around the corner peeking at you." It was very clear to Nathaniel that only God could have seen him, because nobody else was around. And the Lord understood Nathaniel's thoughts. He understood his desires. His secret feelings, his wishes. This is how the Lord knew there's no guile in you. Because I saw you under the fig tree. I know that you were a person who prayed stuff out of your life. I know that you're a person that does that. There's no guile in you. The Lord is aware of us, especially in our private devotions, He hears our prayers he marks our meditations he judges our character mostly by our private devotions do you realize that the lord mostly judges your character because of your private devotions not because your public appearances man will judge you because of of their perception of you in public. But God judges you according to your devotion with Him in private. All of your desire is before Him. Your groaning is not hid from Him. He'll bring to light the things that are... Hidden in darkness, you know, make manifest the counsels of the heart. Now, three chapters later, John records that it's Jesus and his disciples. They stopped at a well outside of Samaria. Maybe you uh, are familiar with the story. While the disciples went into town to purchase food, Jesus sat at the well. He stayed there. Now, a woman comes to draw water from the well. She was surprised that when she asked, uh, when he asked her for a drink because Jews uh, often do not speak to samaritans and uh, jesus told her that if she knew who it was that she was that was talking to her that she would easily give him a drink well obviously there was there wasn't a bucket to uh nearby for for him to draw water so she didn't know what he meant uh, well then he, he explained that the water he gives is never going to make it's going to make her never thirst again you remember the story of the woman at the well but um so anyway she she asks for it she asks for this water hey i'm i'm a thirsty person and if you have water that's going to make me never thirst again Now, think about this for a moment. In the Scripture, how many times do we see men drawing water from wells? Not very often. It was mostly the women that drew the water. We see it um, we, we see it right away with Rebecca drawing water. Rachel and Leah, we see, we see the, the, the girls, we see the women drawing water out of the well. So, um, so some people could be a little chauvinistic and say that carrying water is a woman's work. I just don't think we should really be that chauvinistic. But, but at the same time, we don't see men drawing water, but we do see women drawing water and given to people, given to men to drink. They give to the men that are standing there, and they give to the livestock. We see that in scripture, don't we? That's that's something we see very vividly. So when when she said, um, "I you know," and and Jesus says, "Give me some water to drink." Well, it wasn't so weird to have some guy say, "Give me some water to drink," because that's, was, that was common. That was custom. Women would draw the water and give to the men that were there to drink. That was customary. That was no big deal. But he was a Jew, and what's a Jew asking a Samaritan for? Well, I mean, as far as, as far as Jews were concerned, a Samaritan drawing water is just like poisoning the water. It's just bad. It's like giving, you know, it's like here, the dogs drink, and now you drink. And so she, she questioned that. But, but when Jesus said, I have water, that you will never thirst again. Now, <laughs> she had been at that well probably hundreds of times drawing water for livestock, drawing water for her home, drawing water for different people that were there. She had been at that well. Now, now think for a moment. If somebody's going to give you some water that you're never going to thirst again, do you think you're going you're to take that? Because that means you never have to go back to that stupid well. I never have to carry another bucket of water again in my life. If I'm never going to be thirsty, I don't have to go back to the well, right? And so, so she's like, she immediately, hey, I, I, I want that water. I want that anything that keeps me having to come back to the well. I want that water. The amazing thing is most of what she went to the well for was for others. And she just, you know, got something as well. She got water as well, but she carried a lot of water for other people. And Jesus says, go get your husband. Well, um, I don't really have a husband. That's right. You have have five and the guy you're with now. He's not your husband at all. Uh oh. Remember now, Jesus is aware. He's aware of us. He's aware of us. Job searched for answers from God about his suffering. He looked everywhere for God and he records this. He said, behold, I go forward, but he is not there and backward, but I cannot perceive him on the left hand where he doth work. Um, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him, but he knoweth the way that I take. Job is saying in, verse, in chapter 23, verses 8 through 10, he said, I can't find him, I can't see him, but he knows the way that I take. Job is just admitting, I can't see him, I can't hear him, I can't can't touch him, I, I am not aware of his presence, but nevertheless, he's aware of mine. I mean, that will help us When we go to the Lord in prayer, and we just don't feel anything. We worship God and we don't feel anything. It doesn't matter what we feel. We don't have to know that he's there or, or we don't have to see him there, but we do know that he is there. Job says, hey, but he knoweth the way that I take. I don't know where he is, but he knows where I am. That's exciting to know. That He is aware of us. I looked in front of me, He wasn't there. I sought him in behind me, He wasn't there. I searched the left side, I hunted the right. But is God hiding? No, God's not hiding. Then Job just throws this great truth out there saying, But He knows where I am. He's aware of me. Psalm 139 verses 1 through 6 says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. What is the psalmist saying? The psalmist is saying, I can't comprehend how you know me in the detail that you know me. I can't comprehend it. Every little detail. That you know me. like It's too. The knowledge is too high for me. It's too wonderful for me. Jesus is not only aware of us. But the second point. He is available. To every one of us. He is available. He's There. For us. Verses 7 through 10 of the same Psalm Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, Thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall be shall hold me. When Philip asked Nathaniel to meet Jesus, we asked him to meet Jesus. Nathanael asked, Can any good anything good come out of Nazareth? Now Nazareth was not the um, was not the area that you would expect anything good coming from. Everybody kind of has areas around them that they're like, yeah, nothing good comes from there. How do we know that? Usually because when we read the news about people or, or things that are happening bad, it's always kind of pinpointing one area. And so we, 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 we automatically make a judgment call that nothing good can come from there. <clears throat> and uh, Nazareth, now, now when you're thinking of Nazareth, Nazareth was not a place where priests came from. After all, Jesus is supposed to be the rabbi, right? He's in the priesthood, correct? This is not a place where the priesthood should be coming from. Nothing, nothing good or nothing holy. Nothing, nothing in ministry is coming out of Nazareth. There aren't any Levites there. That's not a place where. That's not a place where there, There's all these Levites and stuff. There's nobody living there. There's, no. So don't think for a minute that, that Nathaniel is condemning Nazareth because it is, um, it is a, a, a skunk hole. It's skid row. Don't think that. Nazareth was not skid row. Nazareth was just simply a place where the priests didn't come from. They, nobody the, the priesthood wasn't from Nazareth. That was not a place where the priests came from remember joseph joseph wasn't a levite he was a carpenter and so and so they they were looking at nazareth and and we've been to nazareth and and it's kind of crazy because nazareth, nazareth is nothing more than a, a catholic shrine today that's basically all nazareth is it's it's not a um it's not a very Pleasant place. It, it overlooks the the valley of Megiddo, or where we're gonna we're Armageddon. Um, it overlooks that so you can kind of see down through the valley of Megiddo um, it's on the it's on the east side of Megiddo the the town of Megiddo so when we stood in Megiddo um, and overlooked the valley we could see Nazareth far off and when we went to Nazareth we could look through the valley and we could see Megiddo on the other side so um, so basically they were in an area where they just it was it's actually it's it's a night area it's not a uh, it's more of a farming community it's not a priesthood area it's not a place where the priests would come from and so when nathaniel says can anything good come out of nazareth he's probably referring most likely he's referring to yeah we've had we've had people come out of nazareth before and and claim to be religious but nothing good came ever came from it but philip he doesn't say oh come on man he just says Come and see. Make up your own mind. We should really have that confidence in the Lord and and the church that whatever the objection, we simply say, come and see for yourself. Come and feel the presence of the Lord. God doesn't play hide-and-seek games. He doesn't. We may not always be able to recognize Him or feel Him, but we, we can be very certain that He is av- available to us. In Matthew twenty-eight twenty, the Lord said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And in Hebrews 13, 5, He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I, I, we, we don't really need much more uh, security than that. He's there. He's available to us. We don't need a whole lot of extra security. We've got got the Lord saying it. We've got the Lord proving it. We've got the Lord there. In Genesis um, chapter 16, Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand to do Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. We're talking about Hagar now. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence comest thou? And whither wilt thou go? She said, I flee. From the face of my mistress Sarai. and the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. Now we, we we really we really see that the Lord is aware of Hagar's situation. He sends an angel to tell her, "I am available to you. I'm aware of your problem. I'm available." Go back home. Don't worry about it. It's all under my control. So after um, after a particularly challenging day, if you will, weary day of teaching, Jesus, he multiplies five loaves and two fish to feed five thousand men plus besides women and children he feeds upwards of 15 to 20 thousand people with five loaves and two fish just multiplying them i mean i would think that that'd be that'd be weary enough just for the disciples 12 disciples handing out food to that many people but that was at the end of the day when they were tired and weary sitting out in the sun listening to jesus teach You guys think it's hard hard sitting in air conditioning and listening to me teach for an hour. Think of Jesus. He's teaching them all day long. All day He's teaching them. And so He feeds them at the end of the day. And the the disciples, they were tired. The people were tired. They said... "Uh, Pro, the disciples were probably more tired than the people because they said to the Lord, they said, hey, it's been a long day, Lord. Everybody's weary and tired. Let's send them away. And Jesus like, ah, let's feed them instead. Oh, are you kidding me? I got to work overtime? Anybody been on your job like that and said, hope I can get my second wind soon. This is taking forever. He sends them to the he, he he sends them to the other side um, and he goes in a mountain to pray and the storm rises. And, and and you guys you guys are aware of that. But uh, J- Peter uh, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me walk out to you. Let me walk to you. And, and, and the Lord says, come on, come on. Peter steps out of the boat, starts walking to Jesus. He sees the wind and the waves. And he sees everything. Uh, waves crashing. He's like, oh, boy. What in the world am I doing? Of course, then uh, when he takes his eyes off of the Lord and he starts looking at the storm. Now, we like watching storms, don't we? Anybody? I mean, I got here this morning. The sky was, was a little gloomy, but uh, shortly after, the sky just got dark. And I was like, wow, we got a big one. And and, and just before I left the house, had a little notice saying, uh, storms possible in Alaska and La Crosse area and got a little uh, notification. And, and uh, I looked at the weather map and it showed this area with a storm in it and stuff. And I thought, ah, you know, it's, they're not saying anything too bad, just thunderstorms. But, but we like looking at storms, don't we? It's kind, of, it's kind of neat for us to look at storms. We like looking at storms as long as we're not standing in them. Anybody ever stood in a storm that you weren't too concerned about looking at? You were looking for shelter? I've been in a few of those. It's like, uh, right now, I'd rather be inside than out here. Wind is blowing, trees are snapping, and everything's crazy, and, and you, you see roofs flying off of barns and stuff. It's like, uh, this is not one I want to stand out and watch. I'd rather find a place inside. See, when the storm gets super close to you and you really start getting affected by it, suddenly you're not watching the storm. You're looking for shelter. Peter was walking in the middle of this storm. Everybody's looking for shelter. Peter looks for shelter in Jesus, takes off walking towards Jesus, and then... He becomes aware of the storm again when he took his eyes off the Lord. There are times when you have a storm going in your life. You will have a boisterous, you will have a problem and you will look to the Lord. You will run to the Lord. You will seek the Lord. You will chase after God. And he's right there. He's available, right? He's available. He's right there. And then in the middle of your storm, you may just look away to see if the storm is still there and you're right back in it. You're right back in it again. Suddenly, another wave comes crashing at you and and you're like, "Ah, I thought I escaped this. And Lord says, you stopped looking at me. See if we if we just keep our eyes locked on the Lord, he'll take us through the storm and he'll stop the storm. But if we take our eyes off of him for any reason at all, suddenly we're back in the storm. When he wants the whole idea is for him to deliver us from it. It could be raging around us, but he's walking us through it while everybody else is still fighting to try to get the boat to stay afloat we could be walking on the water with the lord while everybody else is still screaming still scared that oh what's going on bailing water paddling as hard as they can trying to keep the boat afloat Peter, if he would have just kept his eyes on the Lord, because the Lord was available. Imagine, imagine with me for a moment, if Peter would have kept his eyes on the Lord, walked right out to the Lord, grabbed his hand, if any of these other guys would have got out of the boat. Would they have? In my mind, if Peter would not have sunk... And Jesus had to get him back in the boat to stop the storm. In my mind, the rest of those guys could have got out of the boat and they could have all walked through the storm and just left the boat to perish. And they could have walked out of the storm. But, here's the the great thing also, Calvin. The Lord picks Peter up out of the water, takes him to the boat, And then he stops the storm. Say, hey, I better stop this storm because they're all pretty faithless right now. And I care about them. I don't want this storm to destroy them. I care about them. So I'm going to stop this storm. But. There could have been another outcome. They could have all just grabbed a hold and walked across the raging sea all the way to the other side and just let the boat sink. But Jesus saved the boat as well as the disciples. Matthew writes that immediately Jesus grabbed Peter's hand. Immediately he grabbed his hand. As soon as he sees Peter starting to Starting to uh, uh, sink, immediately he grabs Peter's hand. He had to be in pretty close proximity to do that, right? I mean, I doubt Jesus had this this bungee arm that went. On. He wasn't rubber band man or whatever some of those crazy things are, but he was there immediately to grab his hand. Every moment when you have an instant emergency we should be grateful for an ever-present and available God he's aware he's available and last thing I want to uh, I want last point I want to make this morning is he is adequate for us He's adequate. Nathanael was surprised when Jesus greeted him as the man who sat under a fig tree who did not manipulate people. He responded that Jesus must be God. Nathanael, in verse 49, Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Jesus told him not to be surprised by his awareness. but that he would see greater things than that. In verse 50, if we read that, Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. John's gospel is filled with evidence, filled with evidence that proves that Jesus Christ is adequate. I mean, it is the it is the gospel of deity, if you will. It shows the deity of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful uh, wonderful book. Uh, every chapter, every chapter we're told verse chapter 1 the word was was God was made flesh dwelt among us chapter 2 he showed forth his glory at a marriage feast in Canaan by turning water into wine chapter 3 a Pharisee and ruler of the Jews declared to Jesus we know that thou art a teacher come from God for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him in chapter 4 that he is a source of living water to everyone who asks of him in chapter 5 he shows his adequacy to heal uh, a man who had not walked for 38 years by telling him rise take up thy bed and walk in chapter 6 he multiplies a few loaves and bread for two two little fish and, and la- la- feeds thousands of followers uh, in chapter 7 he's adequate to satisfy the thirst of the soul of a man as proved in his statement that said if any man thirst let him come unto me and drink he that believeth on me as the scripture has said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water in chapter 8 Jesus says this he said I am the light of the world he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life in chapter 9 he gives sight to a person born blind in chapter 10 he reveals uh, God as the good shepherd he reveals himself as the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep in chapter 11 I am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he live and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die in chapter 12 it pictures him as the king of the Jews triumphantly entering Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey and as well uh, as been prophesied centuries before by Zechariah. now we see the adequacy of Jesus Christ to change our lives we see it revealed everywhere we see it in chapter 13 that if we love one another as he loved us that we also love he tells us to love one another his words in 14 say I am the way that the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Uh, well, should we keep going? Without Him, we could do nothing. In chapter fifteen, uh, He says, "If you abide in Me, I will I will abide in you. You'll bring forth much fruit." In chapter sixteen, He's the Comforter, the Holy Ghost. He leads us into all truth. In chapter seventeen, He's the intercessor for the church. In chapter eighteen, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, according to His words in verse 36 in chapter 19 he is a sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world in chapter 20 he's the first fruits of the resurrection in chapter 21 he's the restorer of all the fallen disciples i think we know that he's adequate we know he's adequate we should have absolute zero question that our god is adequate to do whatever we ask Or even think. Whatever we need. Whenever we need Him. Wherever we need Him. Jesus is adequate. He's more than enough. Paul said it in a Roman prison. In Philippians chapter 4. Start at verse 13. I have learned. in whatsoever state I am. Therewith to be content. Now, this is after Paul had been beaten several times, after he'd been stoned a couple of times, after he'd been left for dead. He says, I have learned whatever state I'm in, be content. He says, I know both how to be abased And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ. Which strengtheneth me. So we don't we we like to just quote that one passage, but we don't realize he's talking about suffering, he's talking about starving, he's talking about being abased and abounding, he's talking about the blessings and uh, that, that are pouring out, and he's talking about the, the the blessings that he has to wait a while for. He says, "I can do all things, man. I can make it. I can make it through this. He is adequate for me." But he goes on. He said. He said, "Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye." did communicate with my affliction. Now, ye Philippians, also know also that in the beginning in the, of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but because, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all, And abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing to God. On the basis of that, he goes on and promises My God shall supply all your need according to his riches. In glory by Christ Jesus. Paul knew the luxurious side of life and he also knew the leanness of life. And he confidently, confidently asserted that God is adequate in all of it. Even the world knows this. The world knows it. A New convert <clears throat> has told me that it was okay for her to keep sinning a little bit after being saved because she needed some time to adjust to be in Pentecostal. So she felt that God understood a little sin here and a little sin there. God does understand. He knows our hearts are deceitful. He knows they're desperately wicked. Only God knows our heart. But He also knows the crucifixion pain. The price that it took to pull us out of sin. The Bible says if we sin again. We crucify the Lord. Afresh. I don't know about you but. I would not want to go through that again. And I don't want him to go through it again. Does that make me perfect? No. But it makes me. Aware. of of him a little bit more as he is aware of me it makes me want to be available to him as he has made himself available to me it makes me want to feel just slightly adequate to do something for him because he is fully adequate to do anything for me. We follow Jesus. When he says, come and see, when he says, follow me, when he says, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, we follow Jesus. He's very much aware of us right now today. He's here. He was here before anybody ever turned a light on or unlocked a door. He spent the night here. He spent every single night here since before we were ever even thought of. What are we going to do about it, right? What do we do when Jesus is in the house. We can't ignore him, can we? We worship. It's who we are. That's who he is. We prepare ourselves to meet with him. Does anybody prepare before church to meet with him or do you wait till you get to church to try to prepare? It's scary when you get to church unprepared. The Bible still says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I want to prepare before I get here. I want to to be aware of His presence in my home. I want to be aware of His presence everywhere I go. I want to make myself available to him when he says that person's hungry. I want to make myself available to say, all right, Lord. Only fruit I have comes from you. Let me pass on some fruit. People ask me for money all the time. I I tell them, I I don't have any money, but I do have this. I can pray for you. I can pray for you. I've got a basket full of fruit. It's not, it doesn't look like a basket full of money, but it's a basket full of fruit. God didn't pile money in my hands. He piled fruit in my basket. I can give you some fruit. It's amazing how some people say, I don't want that. I don't want that. One time I remember I was, you know, people standing around holding signs and Remember, I had, a, I, had a, I had a full meal from McDonald's, and, and this was back when I actually ate McDonald's. Had a full meal from McDonald's, and I was like, I, I bought the meal because it was lunchtime. And it was lunchtime. You got to buy something. So I grabbed the meal, and I took off driving, and as I was driving, I'm like, yo, I'm really not that hungry. I see somebody holding a sign, so I gave him my burger and fries. They're like, I don't, I don't want that. You got five bucks? I said, this is my five bucks. I spent five bucks on this. This is my five bucks. Well, I don't want that. I'm like, fine. I'll eat it. I don't need it. You're the one saying you're hungry. Some people, the point I'm making is some people don't want the fruit that's in your basket. They're looking for a different type of fruit. But other people, they'll take it. I handed a Whopper out to somebody, and boy, they grabbed it right away. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Some people will take the fruit that you have. Some people, they want different fruit because they have different motives. The point I'm making is, You've been given fruit. Offer it. Offer it. He gives you you a basket full of peace, love, joy, gentleness, kindness. He gives you a basket. Take it and hand it to somebody. Give them what what they need out of your basket. Maybe, just maybe, just maybe, that spiritual reality that they're looking for they'll find. Would you stand with me?